This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Working Overtime, the bi-weekly advice-focused watch-what-happens-live-to-workings Real Housewives. I'm your host, June Thomas. And I am your other host, Isaac Butler. So, June, what have you got for us today? Well, Isaac, I want to talk about the do's and don'ts of seeking advice from people who have enjoyed success in a field you want to get into. I want to say up front that this topic was inspired by the January 19th issue of Jeff Perlman's email newsletter, The Yang Slinger. We'll include a link to that newsletter in the show page. Perlman is a very successful sports writer who has shifted into writing books about sports. It's a good newsletter. He puts a lot of time and thought into every issue. And I recommend it to anyone interested in journalism and sports and the intersections of those things. Here, though, I also want to note that Perlman said something really, really tone deaf when a horrifically large number of journalists were laid off at several publications in late January. He said that journalists, quote, have to make themselves indispensable. A piece of advice that might have been useful in 1999, but is almost laughably out of date and out of touch. Today, a whole lot of people who have been incredibly hardworking, incredibly entrepreneurial and very smart and very indispensable have been made unemployed in this awful business. So I guess I would just note that Perlman's guidance isn't always reliable to say the least, but I do think he shared some useful wisdom when it comes to this particular topic. So I still want to talk about it. Is that all right? Yeah, I think that's great. You know, just because you give bad advice sometimes doesn't mean you don't also give good advice. I'm sure We've occasionally given or will give bad advice, so I hope listeners will be forgiving with us as well. What a thought. I'm not sure. I could argue with that, but that is not the point, so I won't. So, yes, Isaac. Well, I really meant you. I didn't mean me, to be clear. I would never give (laughs) bad advice. Yeah, just to be clear. I was trying to be generous, June. (laughs) Awesome. Understood. Okay. So the reason Perlman was talking about asking for help on this topic was that he received an email from a college student who was nearing graduation. And Perlman says that sometimes those emails are useless and annoying and self-defeating. And this was one of those. And he breaks it down to try to help people who are seeking advice so that they can do so in an effective way. In this episode, I want to talk about the right and wrong ways to seek advice from people. Not so much in journalism or sports writing, Perlman has that covered, but in other creative fields. And I also want to take a moment here to say 
that here on Working Overtime, we want your questions. You can ask us anything about being an artist in whatever genre. The kind of advice seeking I'm talking about today is when you effectively cold email someone who is undoubtedly successful in their field, the equivalent of a you know, wannabe movie director getting Martin Scorsese's email address or a young playwright scoring Tony Kushner's. So it's quite specific. But first, Isaac, is this something you've ever done in any of your creative worlds? Have you ever reached out to a writer or a theatre professional you admired to seek advice? I will be honest, as I've said a few times on this show, asking for help, even from people I know very well, is something I struggle with a lot. Mm. Uh, I've gotten much, much better at it, but particularly as a young person, it was a real challenge. So it is very seldom that I've reached out in that way. I've been very lucky to be friends with more established artists throughout both my theater and writing career. And so in casual conversation, I have certainly brought up things I want advice on, but I've never like cold written an email to a stranger for that purpose, just because I don't think I got comfortable asking for help in any kind of formal way until I was already a little more established. But there was one time in which I cold wrote some by snail mail, some by email, a bunch of directors looking for work as an assistant. And I actually did get one AD and gig out of that. But the director turned out to be, I think the word I'm going to carefully choose here is colorful. Well, it sounds like there's a story there, but hopefully we'll get back to that at some point in the future over a beer. I hope you learned something from that experience anyway. I don't think I have either. I have been lucky enough to have some mentors who've been hugely helpful. Shout out to Jack Schaefer. But I found them through work rather than by cold emailing them. I have, however, received some of the kinds of emails we're talking about. So I have a little experience of this. All right, let's spend a bit of time talking about the things Perlman advises. These are, in no particular order, do some research about the person you're talking to. Why does this matter? Well, if you reach out to someone, you're asking for their time, the thing that everyone lacks most of all these days. And you really do need to earn their time by showing that you have made a bit of an effort yourself. Honestly, flatter them a bit. And for the record, spelling their name right really isn't flattery. (laughs) Show your commitment to the field you say you're so interested in by making some observations. But don't go in super negative, just trashing stories or writers or whatever it is you're talking about. I do want to get to the do's soon, Isaac, but do you have any thoughts on these don'ts? Yeah, I mean, if you're cold contacting someone to ask for advice, these are great. You know, anytime you're contacting someone, you want to make it clear that you are familiar with them and their work. And you're not just reaching out because you like... Googled richest showrunners or whatever, (laughs) particularly in the arts, you want to make it clear that you have a dedication to the art form. And this isn't just about having a career or making money. A lot of people in the arts get very hinky around careerism, even though they are themselves driven in order to end up where they are. They they had to be, you know, you don't want to turn this into a purely transactional affair in part because you have almost nothing to give them on your side of the transaction other than feeling good about themselves. Don't go on too long. Don't be negative. Don't use chat GPT or other AI things to generate the letter. Write it from the heart. (laughs) Know your shit. Oh, good advice. The most important point I think that Perlman and all the writers he consulted made is to ask for something useful. Don't ask about things the person you're writing to has no experience of, like asking writers about things that you know, pertain to broadcast journalism. 
And worst of all, don't ask for jobs or internships. Here's a public service announcement. You do not get internships and certainly not jobs in journalism by sending emails to writers. Don't do that. It's pointless and a huge waste of a potential opportunity. If you have a chance to to have some kind of meaningful exchange with someone, use it wisely. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we'll talk about requests you can make that might actually result in your picking up some useful advice. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, listeners. Isaac Butler here. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I would just like to encourage you to write us or call us. Get in touch if you have questions, advice that you need, advice that you want to give, successes you've had, things you want to yell at us about. We love hearing from you. You can email us at working at slate.com or even better, call us and leave a message at 304-933-9675. That's 304-933-WO. R K. And we're back. Okay, so don't ask for jobs, but what should you ask? I would say that's the whole point here. You should only reach out to someone when there's something specific you want to know and you think they can tell you or help you figure it out. And the more specific you can be, the better. Just as you shouldn't ask for a job, don't ask for generic advice like What advice would you give someone interested in? That's just one of those questions that turns everyone's mind to mush about what. It's just too general. Similarly, don't take any wooden nickels. I know. That's that's the that's the advice that starts coming into my head when I get that question. It's like a stitch in time saves nine. (laughs) Okay, these are very good pieces of advice, but don't ask just for advice. Also, don't ask for feedback without saying what precisely you want feedback on. I remember working with a keen young writer when I was Slate's foreign editor. She did some stories for me. And especially at the beginning of our professional relationship, there would be quite a bit of editorial back and forth because she didn't know our style. She was just starting out. And also editorial back and forth is how stories get good. But when we closed a piece, she would always send me an email saying, do you have any feedback? I really want to learn. And I would tell her, The edit was my feedback. I really appreciated her commitment to getting better. So it wasn't the request that bugged me. It was the generic nature of it. Tell me what you want feedback on and I will happily provide it. Isaac, I remember when we first relaunched working, we were concerned that when we asked for questions from listeners, we'd mostly hear from people asking how to get an agent. (laughs) As it happens, getting representation really hasn't been something listeners have written to working at slate.com about, but do people ask you in person? And if so, do you have a standard answer? 
That's funny. I I had forgotten about that. But yes, our former co-host, the great author, Ruman Alam, was very concerned about that. Yeah. In large part, I think, because, you know, he speaks at a lot of literary conferences and festivals and a lot of aspiring writers go to that and they all try to get your agent's phone number for whatever reason. Just in case you're listening to this show and you're wondering, how do I get an agent? Let me lay it out for you. <laughs> There's no magic trick. Okay. You have to have something you want to sell first. There's no point in querying an agent when you do not already have a book or book proposal ready. Then you have to find the right people to query. A really good place to start is looking at the acknowledgments of recent books you like, or if you're on social media, you know, people post their deal announcements when they've, when they've sold a book and it will say the name of their agent on it. And if it's a writer you like, you know, check that out. Then you go to their website or the website of their agency. I should say their contact information will be there. It will say whether or not they're open to submissions. It will say what kind of submissions they are looking for. And it will say how to submit, like what to submit. Is it a letter in one chapter? Is it a letter in 50 pages? You know, what is it? This is what I'm going to, I'm going to say, you have to obey all of those instructions. If they say they are looking for literary nonfiction, do not send them a chapter of your high fantasy novel. It's just, there's, it's just a waste of everyone's time and of paper. So then you want to write a letter that is snappy. It makes the project sound exciting. It's not needy. It's human. It's not like, dear sir or madam, I am writing to apply for an agent. It should sound like, hey, I've got this great book. You're going to love it. I'm a human being. Here's some stuff about me that you don't know. You know, here's a great pitch for the book. Here's the chapter of the book. Then you just need to know that the next thing is going that's going to happen is it will wind up in the slush pile and it will stay in the slush pile until someone gets around to reading it. Someone will get around to reading it, but it could take a long time and you have to be patient. Now, if you have a friend, and I mean a friend, not like someone you have a parasocial relationship with, but an actual friend who is a writer, it is totally fine to ask them for their agent's contact info. Almost all writers will pass that along. They often found their agents through the same way. They want to pay it forward. It's very standard. So don't be weird about it. And if the person says no, they'll usually have a good reason. Like, They're not actually open to submissions right now or genuinely, I love your work, but I don't think they're the right agent for you. Maybe you should talk to this other person, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. Yeah. Just to kind of piggyback on that, this may seem really obvious, but it's shocking how often people ask about things that are easily Googleable. Do not ask a successful person to tell you something you can find yourself with a simple web search. The sports writing brain trust that Perlman consulted said, a lot of them, that they were open to giving feedback on pieces when they're kind of going back and forth with young writers in their case. You know, that makes sense. Writers like to talk about writing. They like to tell people, you know, what they liked and didn't like, what they think works and doesn't, where the writer could improve. But again, be considerate of the person that you have found a way to contact. Send them one story or maybe a couple of short pieces. Send appropriate material, as you say, Isaac. Don't send poetry to a political journalist or the first chapter of your romanticy novel to a sports writer. Isaac, have people ever sent pieces to you for critique? June, I'm just going to call BS on Perlman here. I do not (laughs) think that his council of sports writing friends are open to critiquing random 
stuff that people email them, you know, who they've never heard of and have no relationship with. I just don't think that's true. I don't know a single writer who would do that because everyone is just way, way, way too busy. I certainly do that for friends and for former students. Often I offer because people are shy about it. You know, like I have a Mm -hmm. friend who's working on a book proposal right now. You know, we went out to coffee to talk the ins and outs of book proposals. And I said, hey, when it's done, when you're ready to have eyes on it, send it to me. I want to give you notes on it. You know, I've done this a couple times. It's a weird thing to write. You've written one. They're really weird. You know, I've written three, two of which actually turned into books, one of which did not. And, you know, let's, let's talk about it. Or sometimes I'll be like, Hey, here's a copy of one of my book proposals. I just don't think you should send something to someone to critique unless you already have some kind of relationship with them where you think that would be a good idea. And you should always ask first because yes, June, you and I are friends. We've been friends for years now. We've been co-workers for years as well. You know, if you were to send me a piece, of course I would read it. But if we only knew each other a little bit and you were like, just sent something to me, I would be like, oh yeah, I'll look at it. And then I'd just be filled with guilt and anxiety the whole time because I don't really have time to look at it. But that's why asking before is really useful. Yes, to be clear, in the scenario that they were talking about, there was some kind of entree, there was some kind of introduction, there was definitely agreement that this was... Cool. And I do think there is something that you mentioned earlier, you know, this this desire to pay it forward. Many of us had some kind of help, whether it was kind of explicitly mentoring or, or just somebody just kind of ended up in that role. Somebody gave us a piece of advice and we want to kind of return it. So that was yeah. a little bit more of the scenario that they were talking about. Yeah, do not just cold email people. And let me briefly say to the more established people out there, like someone read your pieces at some point, you know yeah. what I mean? Like you should try to pay it forward if you can. I really yeah. believe that. There was a moment where the the screenwriter of the film A History of Violence wrote a piece, I think, for the Village Voice called No, I Won't Read Your Screenplay mm. that sort of started with the idea of like, if you come up to me in a film conference and hand me your screenplay, of course, I'm not going to read it. But it sort of expanded, if I remember correctly, this was years ago, to, you know, he's not going to read anyone's screenplay. Like, you might be a friend of his and he's not going to read it or whatever. And people got justifiably very mad at that because it's like, we all have a duty to the art form to help the next generation come up. I really genuinely believe that people help me, you know, and so I really think it's my job to help other people when I can and within reason. Yeah, in the right context. All right, we'll be back with some final thoughts about seeking advice from successful people after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Hey, it's Isaac Butler again. I'm sure you really missed me interrupting the show, so I'm here to interrupt it again to tell you, please, if you are enjoying this podcast, do not forget to subscribe. And if you already subscribe and you're thinking, well, what else can I do? You could rate the podcast. You could review the podcast. Wherever you are getting your podcast, you know, you do those things. It actually really does help new listeners to find us because the algorithms use all that stuff in ways that I don't completely understand, but apparently it works. If you've done all of those things, another thing you could consider doing is going to slate.com slash working plus and signing up for our premium tier. You'll be supporting what we do right here at working. You'll get behind the paywall at the mothership site. You get all sorts of other bonus goodies. It's really easy. Sign up today. Slate.com slash working plus. All right. Now back to our show. Okay. Some last thoughts on this question. I guess I want to say you don't have to ask a question. If you find a way to, you know, get something to a person you admire, it's okay just to send a fan letter if that's what you really want to do. Unless you genuinely have a question that you think the person could help you with, don't feel the need to ask one. You know, just tell them you enjoy their work and move on. Also, this comes back to what I think is the key element in all of this, having something you really want to know. Think about whether the famous person is the best person to ask that question of. If you have a query about the sound of a particular segment of This American Life, ask a producer. Don't ask Ira Glass. He's probably not the best source for that information anyway. Isaac, any last thoughts? Well, I'd just say we've thrown out a lot of info, a lot of do's and don'ts. I think that's all good advice, but do not let it make you too nervous. The person you're writing to has been in your position before, and hopefully that means they will approach this interaction with some amount of decency and humility. And if you don't get a response or get a negative response, do not take it personally. That doesn't mean your career is over. It might just mean that person's a jerk. It might mean they're too busy. It, It really probably doesn't have anything to do with you. So just pick yourself up and keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of humility, you know, don't forget to show some yourself, especially if you are someone who hasn't yet established themselves in the field in which your potential advice giver is you know, maybe a big star, but just maybe somebody pretty established. Focus on them instead of yourself. You know, sure, tell them a bit about yourself. As you said, Isaac, show your commitment to the field. But you're asking for advice, not a date or a new parent. So, you know, keep it brief and relevant. You don't have to big yourself up. That's not the point of this. Totally. I mean, I guess what we're really saying comes, a lot of it comes down to be a human being, treat the other person as a human being. Think about how you would want this letter to read if you were in their shoes. You know, the golden rule is useful in this case. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe that actually is something to think about as you're putting together this letter. If This is something that you end up doing. Maybe one day you will receive such a letter. Put yourself in that position, maybe. That will help you to pitch it appropriately, to to ask an appropriate question. Maybe one day you'll be the person receiving these emails or whatever kind of communication we'll be getting by that point. Brain mail, right? And it'll just zoom <laughs> through the ether to your mind. Yeah. Have your robot contact my robot, okay, Isaac? Precisely. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. But let me leave you with one last piece of advice. I think you should subscribe to Working wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have ideas for things we could do better, questions you'd like us to address, something you'd just like to tell us about, we'd love to hear from you. 
You can send us an email at workingatslate.com or give us a ring at 304-933-WORK. If you'd like to support what we do, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash working plus. You'll get bonus content, including exclusive episodes of Slow Burn and Decoder Ring, and you'll be supporting what we do right here on Working. Thank you, as always, to Kevin Bendis, who produces Working Overtime, and to our series producer, Cameron Drews. They give us amazing advice every single episode. We'll be back on Sunday with a brand new episode of Working, and in two weeks, we'll have another Working Overtime. Until then, get back to work. slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time (gasps) no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details